Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most prestigious award show in Dreamcast history. Your host for this evening include myself, Dan the Mega Driver, and the Professor K to my ooh la la, it's James the Sega Holic. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> Jet Set Radio. <laughs> choo, choo, choo. I was thinking of Sega hosts. I mean, they're, they're the two hosts for the most, aren't they? You know, you've, got, you've got your DJ and your news anchor. Yeah, how, how you been, mate? Aye, not bad. Um, not bad at all, mate. Just I think Saturn-wise, I'm still playing Stellar Assault, enjoying that very much, that fan mod. And uh, just recently got a, a nice shiny black shell from a Dreamcast, which has removed the need to have a retro bright again, thankfully. So <laughs> apart from that, nothing much, mate. What about yourself? Yeah, I would hope to see that Dreamcast show on the channel, maybe at some point. Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> Me, I've just been, I've just playing a bit of Bug bit of um the japanese version after watching pandemonium's another sensational video mm -hmm. from that from that gentleman i actually downloaded the japanese version which is a lot easier for some reason it's called bug jump shite in japan <laughs> <laughs> which is a pretty apt description but it's a lot more enjoyable playing that version so uh yeah that's been my uh my sega evening at the moment mate but you know about the same <laughs> enough about the saturn mate we have quite the show for our for our viewers and listeners today don't we with uh an award show of sorts and uh people that are watching may have noticed that we're uh looking a bit formal yes that's correct because you know this is a show that we've had on the back burner for quite some time um, as you can see from the special background that we have for this episode we are today celebrating the Dreamcast with our very own the Sega Guys Dreamcast Oscars. So the uh, they've been round with the with the champagne. So <laughs> they didn't see me. I'm drinking out of a water bottle for, for, for some reason. <laughs> Honestly, it just can't get the help these days. Can't get the staff, mate. That's that. You know. <laughs> the budget. The budget only goes so far. Mate. <laughs> What's happened to these sort of shows, man? No, we're back in the golden age when the Dreamcast was respected. <laughs> when, when Sega's legacy wasn't in danger of being forgotten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, oh, no, but I'm going to need plenty of water to get through this because we have got we have got quite a lot of games to go through today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've broken it down into several categories, kind of obviously based on the kind of similar theme of what you get at the at the actual Oscars. So. You know, we've got, you know, um, we've got the best arcade game, best fighting game, best racing game, best score, and of course, best game. Now, that's got a bit of a twist to it, so we'll, we'll get to that at the end. We'll leave that for, as a bit of a surprise at the end. Absolutely, mate. But so uh, I think, let's get down to it then. The people want games, they're here for the awards, mate. So our first category is best arcade port. So what are the nominations? The nominations I have for Best Arcade Port are Crazy Taxi. Crazy Taxi, released in 1999 by Hitmaker, the sensational taxi sim. Not really a simulation, <laughs> is it? But it's a barrel of laughs. <laughs> it is indeed. Uh, second nomination is Virtual On 2, Oratorio Tangram. Another absolute classic, especially in its home country in Japan, released by Night AM3 in 1999. Our third nomination for Best Arcade Port is The House of the Dead 2. The very first Naomi Port, I believe, which came to the Dreamcast in 1999, courtesy of AM1. And our final game in this category is Virtua Tennis. 
and a series that would long outlive the Dreamcast, an absolutely legendary tennis game from 1999 by AM3. And James, who is our winner of Best Arcade Port? Our winner of Best Arcade Port is Crazy Taxi. It could, it could be no other, couldn't it, mate? I mean, you know, you had your video on there recently of your of your run, and it, it just shows that there's an awful lot of love for Crazy Taxi, and rightly so. It's an absolutely sensational game. Yeah, and I think the fact as well that the audio was allowed to stay up, I was quite kind of anxious yeah. <laughs> putting it up because I thought I might get a strike, but it did come with a copyright warning, but it says on there that the owner allows the, the content to be used on YouTube. So I think, I remember that a long time ago, whenever obviously I had my, my personal account and I'd put a video up of, of Crazy Taxi and um, the, the Offspring actually quote tweeted it. Oh, wow. uh, so they, they mentioned it. So I think they are more than acutely aware of the impact that the music had on the game and, most likely the game on their music as well in terms of an audience that it would have had because, you know, all I want is literally synonymous with that game as much as the the Bad Religion soundtrack that's on there as well is absolutely brilliant. You know, people remember, you know, down the line and, and all I want, you know, at any time anyone tweets anything from Crazy Taxi, you see replies going, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just it's synonymous with it. So the video went down a storm. It was a great run. I just I just hit record on the off chance and just everything that I tried to do in that video went to plan. You know, like getting my you know my, my limit cuts off the the ramps at the you know the, the hills, doing my crazy drift and then holding it as I collided into the tram stop to rack up like I think it's like a 32 um you know crazy combo on there to, to get a massive fare for that kind of particular customer. So I it's just it's for me it's it's very much you know it's it's a timeless game. Uh, it still looks absolutely stunning to this day. You know it just I think for me it embodies the very spirit of the Dreamcast as well. So it's you know it's fun, it's loud, it's vibrant. Um, so yeah, I think it's uh, a more than deserving winner. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, and for me it's, it's still best played on the Dreamcast, and it's a it's a testament to how well that game was ported that it still is best played on the Dreamcast. And this is a game that has been ported to pretty much everything under the sun now. You've got your PSP ports, you've got your Xbox 360, PS3, PC ports that are around today. It came to the GameCube, came to the PS2, and came to the Xbox as part of the Crazy Taxi Free compilation all back in the day. And not a single one of them felt as good as the Dreamcast version. Some of them could be argued that they looked better, particularly in this instance of the modern ports and the and the Xbox port, but they didn't quite play right. The Dreamcast version just has that gameplay in absolute spades. Um, now, it was up against some stiff competition. Absolutely adore House of the Dead 2, yep. Virtual Tennis, Virtual On as well. Um, the, the first two, House of the Dead 2 especially, is very fond memories for me. Um, but, you know, in terms of what you got with Crazy Taxi, not just in an arcade mode, which is infinitely replayable. I mean, mm-hmm. it's almost arcade perfection. You had a whole, whole other city, granted, not as iconic and not as solid as the arcade original, but great content nonetheless. And the Crazy Box as well was another <laughs> one that I spent I spent many hours playing and replaying to beat those scores. So, you know, you look at your arcade ports, um, 
Crazy Taxi is perfection for me. You know, it's almost the perfect arcade game. It's a game you can pick up and play for five minutes. You've even got the three-minute options in there. That's right. <laughs> Three minutes all the way to unlimited. I mean, your, your run, I was surprised it went for 20 minutes. I've seen you play Crazy Taxi for 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 an hour. <laughs> I say, I know, I know. It's uh, sometimes if I, if I can get right, the right kind of run of customers, you know, nine times out of ten, the, the guys and, and ladies, of course, that you pick up, they're going where you think they're going to go. I think in that run, if I remember, there at the bus terminal, there is always either a, a ginger gentleman in a suit or a woman with purple joggy bottoms on. <laughs> um, and she's they're an orange circle. And nine times out of ten, they're going to the fire station, which is a signal to get a lap for me because, as I said before on the pod, Whenever you drop off at the fire station, directly across the road, there's a young gentleman in a brown suit with a bunch of roses. You pick him up and, again, nine times out of ten, he's going to the university, which is your lap. That's you back. Once you drop off at the university, you're back to the start again. Yeah. But in this run, I'm pretty sure the guy goes to the mall end gate and I'm like, you bastard. I'm yeah. like, you know, it's just typical that it would have been quite nice to get a lap on, on camera there, but Aye, that's the thing about it. It's just it's so so replayable. Like the it's like all the Sega kind of score based kind of time attack kind of style games that we've mentioned. There's you know a very easy to kind of scratch the surface way to get into it. But if you dig deeper and get into the mechanics, there is a lot in there. Yeah, to actually enhance the experience and, and to become a real expert at it and master the, the, the moves like the crazy the the drift the dash the limit cut you know it's just absolutely brilliant and as we say up against some stiff competition you know things like virtual on two arguably one of the best model three ports on yeah. the dreamcast it's absolutely gorgeous but again it's got quite a steep learning curve um i would argue that you would need the twin sticks kind of any kind of peripheral to to truly enjoy it yeah, properly. Whereas Crazy Taxi, whether you've got a wheel or a controller, you know, it's you can just jump right into it and, and have great fun. Yeah, absolutely. More more than any of those games, really. And as arcade games, again, against stiff competition, you can pick up House of the Dead Virtual Tennis or Virtual One, not as much, but out of all of them, you know, it's easiest to just jump straight into Crazy Taxi. And yeah, you can just hold the accelerator and, and whiz about, but as you say, getting your drifts, your limit cuts, your crazy jumps, your crazy boosts, etc. Sensational stuff, mate. So a worthy winner there, best arcade port. On a system that wasn't heralded from its, for its arcade port, it's ultimately something that Sega tried to distance themselves from. That's right. Yeah, they said they didn't want to stigmatise the Dreamcast with what the Saturn was done, which was obviously, it was known as an arcade port machine, but I think much like, you know, Sega of that time, they were quite confused. You know, they wanted to go down a more kind of mainstream casual route with the Dreamcast, but, um, you know, they said they didn't want to stigmatise it with arcade ports, as I say, but yet they always kept coming back to it. It was, at the end of the day, it was the lifeblood, the arcades. They couldn't help it. The fact that Naomi and Dreamcast are so very similar in architecture, it was an absolute no-brainer yeah. that you were going to, you know, see arcade games come over. And as I said before, we didn't get Squid Race, but we did get 18-wheeler. <laughs> we did indeed, mate. 18-wheeler, conspicuous by its absence in the arcade category of, among the nominees. <laughs> <laughs> I still have a soft spot for it, though. Um, 
I did out of pick my up. way, Greenhorn. <laughs> <laughs> I do only have the PS2 version. I got the um, got the Dreamcast one on the GDMU. Um, the physical version of the Dreamcast game is a little bit, a little bit too pricey for me. So the one pound fifty PS2 version, coupled with the GDMU, that'll do me. I'll do me. Gets the job yeah. done. Gets the job done, mate. Speaking of getting the job done, it's time to move on to our next category. And that is best fighting games, a genre that the Dreamcast was rich with. There was an embarrassment of riches, bloated yeah, with just just so much fighting game goodness on there. Yeah, and I mean to narrow this down to to four nominees <laughs> was was hard going. Uh, however, the nominees for best fighting game are Soul Calibur, nineteen ninety nine from Namco, an enhanced port of a System 22 fighting game, the sequel to Soul Edge, and the game that first came to the system that was better than Arcade Perfect. Second nominee for this category is Dead or Alive 2. Dead or Alive 2 and Naomi Port from uh, Tecmo, uh, the sequel to the Model 1 port, for, uh, from the Model 1 game, also from Tecmo, um, infamous for its uh, its bouncy, jiggly physics, but also <laughs> a fantastically fun and deep fighting game in its own right. That's right, yeah. I mean, Dead or Alive 2, uh, Dead or Alive 1, sorry, the, the game which which saved Tecmo whenever yeah. they used the Model 2 hardware to, to obviously create that game. So Dead or Alive 2, uh, a great nominee there. Um, and the third one we have is Capcom versus SNK. Capcom versus SNK. This is the first Capcom versus SNK. It was a momentous uh, release when it came out in the year 2000, courtesy of Capcom themselves. Long had Capcom and SNK been 2D fighting game rivals, and to see them join forces and create this absolute classic was something to truly behold back then. Absolutely. And our final nominee for best fighting game is Marvel versus Capcom 2, New Age of Heroes. Gonna take you for a ride with this one. This one really needs no introduction. Probably the most famous game on this list. Um, 52 characters, free on free action, Madness. absolutely bonkers gameplay. Uh, heralded as one of the greatest fighting games of all time, regardless of any system. But uh, it has its work cut out for it here. So, James, who is our winner of best fighting game? The winner of best fighting game is. Soul Calibur. And I think this was one that we both came to the uh, conclusion on very quickly together, wasn't it? Uh, a a yeah. fighting game which defined the Dreamcast. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if you ask anyone to choose a fighting game on the Dreamcast, I think 95% of people would instantly resonate towards Soul Calibur. Uh, I mean, again, much like the best arcade port, some stellar competition, you know, I kind of wavered a little bit, you know, I was kind of torn between Soul Calibur and Dead or Alive 2 for a little while, just based on the fact that Dead or Alive 2 being a Naomi port and Naomi being that little bit more powerful than Dreamcast, more VRAM in there, that it may have made that port more impressive. Um, however, I think what sets Soul Calibur apart from Dead or Alive 2 is that extra content, you know, the fact you've got the you know, the, the mission battle mode, it's vast in content. You can obviously collect a, a, an array of, of points to unlock artwork, extra stages, extra characters. There's just so much in it. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, the amount of times that I've gone through that whole mission mode, complete beaten arcade mode with every single character, um, it's beyond count. 
I absolutely adore this game. Uh, when I did my top 30, top 50 fighting games, uh, however many years ago that was, Soul Calibur was number, I want to say number five. It was, it was either five or six, um, just below Virtua Fighter 2. But uh, as far as I was concerned, possibly one of the finest 3D fighting games ever. I think most, I, I feel that most people would probably err towards Marvel versus Capcom 2. Mm. And uh, for that one, I think, because because they feel that Soul Calibur kind of, it got the sequels on the other machines that generation, didn't it? We saw Soul Calibur 2 on Xbox, on GameCube, on, GameCube. and on PS2. With their own unique character yeah, as well. It's, it's the game that introduced the crossover character, pretty much, which is now commonplace these days. It's like Mortal Kombat 1 just got announced. It's like, oh, you'll be able to play as Homelander. I don't remember him in the first Mortal Kombat. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Starr getting some yeah. royalties from Mortal Kombat <laughs> exactly. there. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think any of the other Soul Calibur games have quite measured up to Soul Calibur 1. Uh, I've got Soul Calibur 2 and I've got it on multiple formats and uh, none of them feel as good as Soul Calibur 1. And not only do I feel it's a better game, but no game will ever have the impact that Soul Calibur did. Mm. Mate, we love Virtua Fighter 3 to bits, don't we? We've spoken about our love for Virtua Fighter 3 time and time again and how the port is underrated, how Genki did a hell of a job getting it over to the Dreamcast yeah. in such a short time and how it's just a wonderful game in its own right. For Soul Calibur to come along and outshine Virtua Fighter 3 on Sega's own system at launch is testament to just how good it is. Yeah, I mean, what didn't help VF, obviously it did have its kind of moment in the sun in Japan. You know, we had that kind of period between obviously VF3 being a launch game in Japan and then Soul Calibur coming along the following year. But, you know, whenever it came to the Western, you know, launches, if I remember, VF3 was a UK launch title, but it came out two weeks after launch in the US, but it was still within the, the launch window. Yeah. So if you're looking at VF3, as much as we love it, you know, if you've got Soul Calibur beside it, it's a really hard sell. You know, unless yeah. you're a unless you're a virtual fighter enthusiast, it's a really hard sell. Um, but I, you know, it's it it couldn't be nominated in one of the four slots, just given the wealth of of absolute quality fighters. Yeah. I mean, Capcom versus SK, SNK two isn't even on here. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is my favorite of the Capcom versus SNK games. I just I I love that intro alone. That intro movie's sensational. But yeah. you know, as you said, when we introduced the category, mate. It's a, a wealth of absolute quality. It's there's no shortage of fighting games on the Dreamcast. Yeah, I've got I've I've got so many that I return to again and again. Like Guilty Gear X on there is absolutely it's phenomenal. The very first Marvel versus Capcom, though. No, we had the versus Street Fighter games on the set and the first Marvel Capcom versus Capcom game. I actually personally prefer. Right. I think when we were going through these categories, we were trying to be, you know, objective. And I think for, for Marvel versus Capcom 2 is a game that is, I think it's embraced more because of the sheer spectacle, the sheer wealth of content. And because unlike the six button predecessors, it's actually a lot easier to you know, do certain attacks, you know, your assist and everything. You've got your two triggers or, you, you know, you've got your four attack buttons and two assist buttons, which almost has become the template for various fighting games today from your later Marvel vs. Capcom games all the way to your um, Blaze Blue cross-tag battle and your Dragon Ball Fighters. They all use very similar approaches to to Marvel vs. Capcom 2, which just shows the influence that 
23 years later, that game still has. But uh, for Soul Calibur to beat out all of that competition, and, and rightly so, it's, it was a game that I think it got a 10 out of 10 in Edge, didn't it? A 40 out yeah. of 40 in Famitsu. It was, yeah. The accolades, I think, in fact, I was looking through Metacritic the other day because I was talking to my son about the most uh, critically acclaimed games of all time because Zelda had just come out and that had something like 97. It's like, has anything got anything higher than that? And I think, yeah, Ocarina of Time was up there, was higher than it. I think that's still number one, but Soul Calibur is, is not far behind on, on Metacritic. You know, it's sitting there with about 98 because everyone everyone was giving it 10s everywhere and you play it today, it still looks gorgeous and it still plays amazing and it still just hooks you for hours and hours on end. I, I mean, I remember again when I got my Japanese copy home, I mean, I remember Sam coming up to, to play it and um, I always just remember we, we just couldn't believe what we were seeing, the, the sheer fidelity. I still remember him and I going right up to my television <laughs> and I had this big 4 by 3 Toshiba where I matched stand at the time and we were, the two were like, and then we unlocked the characters and then we got to Lizardman and I always say, Lizardman, well, I'll always remember him because we both looked at each other and said, you can see the scales. Yeah. yeah. Like you just couldn't believe that you could make out individual scales on his back, you know, or his whole body because he's, he's covered in scales obviously, but it was just a crazy level of detail, you know, and, Namco could have been lazy. They could have, you know, just ported it over as it is. Nice, stable frame rate, you know, no problem at all. Kept it in line with the System 22 version. Maybe added the mission battle mode, but not yeah. bothered to actually take the time to go in and rework the textures, rework the 3D models, rework the environments, and just make it look as... It's, it's a game you can put on and play and enjoy but just sit back and watch it you watch that intro you watch the the character kind of portraits where they go through all the like Kellex doing his spinning yeah. his stick and Mitsurugi's you know dashing across with samurai sword and all that you know Taki's jumping up and you know flame daggers into the ground and all that and it's just yeah. like you can just sit back and go how the hell is this for 1999 <laughs> yeah exactly you know <laughs> it was that that much beyond the arcade version that it just makes it absolutely legendary. Yeah, it was almost beyond... It's almost the game that killed the arcade in a way because mm. it was beyond most of what was in the arcade at the time as well. I don't think it was there was anything that looked that good even in the arcade. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, mate. I mean, the fact that you were now starting to see something in the home that was better than... Because as we've said before on this show, the, the arcade is where you used to go to see a glimpse of the future. Yeah. Suddenly the future wasn't in the arcade anymore yeah i think the only game that might have outshone it at the time visually might have been dead or alive too which came to the dreamcast the following year but even then it's a tough call but uh an absolutely worthy winner a a game that we absolutely gush about for for that game to beat out not just virtual fighter at launch but all these capcom fighters in our in our eyes and you know to retain that sort of rating on better critic and just be so heralded and have the legacy ahead. What a game. But mate, what a game. Onwards from the fighting games to another genre, which I think the uh not as well furnished perhaps, but reasonably well endowed with uh with racing games was that was the Dreamcast. Um would you agree? Yes, certainly. Which brings us to our next category, which is best racing game. And would you like to tell our, our listeners and viewers who the who the nominations are? The nominations for Best Racing Game are 
Metropolis Street Racer. Metropolis Street Racer, a second-party game commissioned by Sega to Bizarre Creations, released after several delays in the year 2000, allowing players to race around real streets in real street races um, with an, a level of authenticity hitherto unforeseen. Mm-hmm. Next nominee we have is Sega Rally Championship 2. Sega Rally Championship 2, a game that came out in the release window back in 1998 for the Dreamcast. It has its fair share of criticisms around the port, but that doesn't detract from it being an absolutely stellar racing game in its own right. Third nominee is Sega GT. Sega GT was Sega's attempt at defroading the mighty Gran Turismo, developed by WoW Entertainment and released in the year 2000. This was Sega's attempt at creating a real driving simulation game, moving away from their arcade roots. And the fourth and final nominee for Best Racing Game is Ferrari F355 Challenge. Now, if you want to talk simulation games, you go to the man that just takes that sort of just sheer enthusiasm to the next level, you know, just around one car to get the, the simulation so real, so close to the real thing, uh, just so detailed. From Yu Suzuki of AM2 in the year 2000, the Naomi port, the Naomi original had three screens and somehow using four Naomi arcade boards and somehow they managed to squeeze it back down to a single Dreamcast game, a stellar achievement. Uh, monumental driving simulation and uh, a worthy nomination. But James, does it win our decision? Let's have a look. The best racing game is Metropolis Street Racer. And very well deserved it is as well. Yes, I think this was another one where when we both said who we think our winner would be, we both came to the same conclusion almost instantly, uh, despite some heady competition, not just amongst these nominees, but you know, with other games such as Le Mans 24, yep. the uh, F1 Grand Prix games, and, and uh, there's games beyond, there's races beyond count on there, which which play like dreams and all run at like a lovely 60 frames per second. MSR just felt so revolutionary at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, just... It became a bit of a meme. I remember our UK resistance used to point point fun at it and just say, you know, they've had to delay it because someone put up another phone box in, in Trafalgar Square and, and things like that. But um, the wait was really worth it because we got an absolute classic when it landed. Yeah, I mean, again, I was pretty torn between MSR and Ferrari F355, you know, based on the fact, as you just alluded to, four Naomi boards, yeah, shrunk down to fit very, very well onto a single Dreamcast. You know, that they managed to actually fit the game there faithfully and reproduce it to the level they did was a great technical achievement. But I think Metropolis Street Racer, the fact that the team that made it, they went out there, obviously Bizarre Creations no longer with us, but they went out and they snapped real streets, real locations. You know, again, even down to radio stations that were tailored to each city, I remember you're racing around London and you get like an advert for, and I was, I always remember, I was gutted because Bullet and the Gun comes on yeah. from Planet Perfecto, right? And straight away, you're like, oh, here we go. And it really yeah. gets you go. And then it goes, Bullet and the Gun by Planet Perfecto, out now. Out now. And I was like, oh, it's a fucking advert. Like, tease. I was like, no. But, you know, I think, again, the given the, the way the game 
is structured, multiple chapters, the kudos system, the jokers, the risk and reward, the gambling kind of mechanics of it, that addictive nature that, you know, you need an extra 200 kudos to unlock the next chapter. You've raced all the races, so you have to go back and <laughs> sacrifice what you've earned in one to race it again. But if you don't make your goal, then not only have you forfeit the ones that you had, but you're also going yeah. to a negative. So, you know, again, if you play a joker and you mess it up, you lose double. So it's like, you know, that whole balancing act that they've got there is is absolutely brilliant. The sheer plethora of of content in terms of tracks, cars, music, everything about it is just Yeah, Chef's kiss, mate. It's um absolutely glorious. Yeah, the, you've just hit the nail right on the hood. The the risk versus rewards structure, you know. I was playing it again recently, and it's a lot tougher than all the games that followed it. You know, everyone fondly remembers the Project Gotham Racing series. Really, fine. it's a it's a game that's sorely missed in the Xbox ecosystem. I think really sorely yep. missed. Even though Forza Horizon does take some influence from there, you know, with the skill rewards and everything like that, right. and certain challenges. So it's its influence is still felt today. But I felt the Project Gotham games felt a lot easier and a lot more forgiving than Metropolis. Metropolis Street Racer really made you work. It really made you know. I don't remember playing that many Jokers or anything. I don't even know if they existed in the in the follow ups in the Project Gotham series. But there was always a a, a nervousness about playing them for the reasons you said. You could you know do worse. You lose, then you lose double your points. Even if even if you pass it, if you haven't done as well as you did the first time. You know, you're losing out. And, you know, I've been there so many times when, you know, you need 50 kudos to get to the next chapter and you're going through all of your different um, your different uh, uh, courses or challenges or whatever. And you're like, ah, oh, but which one can I shave a little bit of time off? Or which one can I get a few <laughs> more of drifting? Or which one can I get a bit more star points in? It's 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 not just a racing game. It's just it's, there's so much like tactical that you have to apply to it. Yeah, I mean, the AI as well is devilish. Like, the, the events that I absolutely loathe, right, are the one-on-ones. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter if you've got a better car, that that, that one-on-one, they are, are so tight. I mean, even if you give yourself, like, a 30-second start, they are right behind yeah. you with it. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, they don't make mistakes. It's like they, they catch you up really, really fast. It makes it a real challenge. Yeah. But even even on the actual races themselves, you know the the AI is it's devilish. It will cut you off at corners or put you into fences. They'll you know they'll, they'll take you out. You know yeah. it's like it's really aggressive. Which again, I don't feel that the Project Gotham games quite had that level of aggression no. to AI. You said that they're you know they are a lot easier. I think the most challenging thing about the Project Gotham games were the cone challenges. Yeah, you know, they yeah. were just hellish. You know, but. Aye, no, MSR's just chock full of, of great content. Um, I, again, as we said, up against some decent opposition there, Ferrari F355, as we mentioned. Sega Rally 2, which has obviously been featured on the channel. You know, at the time we're recording this, it's uh, still to go out, but yeah. at the time this airs, it will have been available. Um, obviously, the stuff I, I touch on in the video there about the Japanese version versus the Western version, the performance differences and so on but you know the whole Windows CE development environment that led yeah. to the port being way, way whenever you look at what they achieved with F355 even look at Sega GT running yeah, you know and then of course MSR there's no reason why the Dreamcast 
couldn't have done a far better port of Sega Rally 2. And I think, as I said in the video, that that's the thing that kind of is that tinges me with the most kind of bit of sadness because it could have been better. It's it's still, you know, Sega Lord X said it, it's it's flawed, but it's still a, a decent experience. You can still yeah. have fun with it. Don't get me wrong. And I do enjoy it, you know, playing that Japanese version, but there's just that little niggle in the back of your mind that well, this could have been a lot better. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a crying show. When I played it in 1999, it was like very early 1999, I absolutely loved it. And mm-hmm. I couldn't see the couldn't see the flaws then. You I mean back then it didn't look quite you knew it wasn't quite arcade perfect, which was the expectation really, more so than Virtual Fighter 3TB. I think the flaws were more obvious, but you could it still felt it was still a good time. It was still a lot of fun. And I remember the 10-year championship and all the extra content you had in there, all the extra cars and tracks. It really felt like Sega were really, you know, pushing on to step away from just giving us the arcade, the bare bones arcade ports that, you know, we we knew and loved on the Saturn. They wanted to give us more kind of move following that PlayStation and Namco template. Um, so yeah, Sega, Sega Rally 2, a fantastic game. Sega GT, I've got the uh, Homologation special. I've had, that was the version that I picked up around launch time. I was dead excited for it when I picked it up mm-hmm. in... Um, in the year 2000 for my Japanese Dreamcast. And uh, and another one I, I, at the time, I absolutely loved. It's a lot tougher um, than I think Gran Turismo. You can't just buy your way uh, through the races. Um, there's a lot of cool things that you can do in there. The the vehicle creation mode is limited, but, uh, but fun. I remember sticking a... Um, I think I stuck a stuck a Dodge Viper engine inside a uh, inside a Mini Cooper body frame <laughs> to uh, to some interesting results. <laughs> didn't quite didn't quite take off like a rocket like I thought it would, um, but you know it it was something different from Sega. It was it was never as good as Gran Turismo, but it was again a, a, no. a solid racing game mm-hmm. in its own right. But uh, I don't think yeah I think out of all of them, Ferrari F three five five comes closest to to MSR. Now it's probably a few people watching this, probably shouting, saying Le Mans 24, um, you know, some of the F1 games, uh, maybe the Tokyo Highway battles, there was, there was plenty of games which maybe people would say take over the Sega Rally 2 or Sega GT versions that we see in here, which we know are flawed but are enjoyable. But that was the thing about the Dreamcast Live, we had choice, but MSR I think sits king over them all. Yeah, and I'll just take this opportunity to apologise to James Harvey of the Dreamcast Junkyard for not nominating Spirit of Speed. <laughs> Sorry, Jazz. <laughs> oh. Play it for us, James. <laughs> <laughs> Delete your save file and do a full playthrough for our for our pleasure. <laughs> no, mate. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, we're going to slow things down a little bit now, mate, and we're going to move on to the best puzzle game. Um, now, yes. this is a, an interesting category, um, but uh, if you'd like to start by telling our viewers and listeners who our nominations are. So the nominees for best puzzle game are Choo Choo Rocket. Choo Choo Rocket from Sonic Team in 1999, one of the, if not the first, online Sega Dreamcast game. Puzzle Fighter for Matching Service. A Japanese exclusive that came from Capcom back in 2000. This took the very popular gem fighting, gem matching puzzle game 
and uh, added online matchmaking to it. Sega Swaddle. Sega Swell, released on a number of demo discs. Uh, this is the first surface around 1999. The internal developer is unknown. So maybe one of our viewers and listeners couldn't tell us that, but it is a Sega first-party game, uh, matching swells, and generally just a lot of fun. And the final nominee is Puzzle Bobble 4. Puzzle Bobble, a.k.a. Buster Move. This is the fourth entry in Taito's famous franchise from the year 2000. You know what you're getting with this one. Point the arrow. It's kind of like, for anyone that's not seen it before, think Bubble Witch Saga. (laughs) (laughs) And James, would you like to tell our viewers and listeners who the winner of this category is? And the winner of Best Puzzle Game is... Choo Choo Rocket. And once again, another very worthy winner. I think uh, this game actually made waves when it first launched back in 1999. Um, primarily, people were excited because it was a online Dreamcast game after many promises, particularly here in the UK of over 6 billion players. We, <laughs> we finally <laughs> had the opportunity to, to play online and it came out came for free for, um, for registered Dreamcast users mm-hmm. over here. Um, so I didn't actually get one. <laughs> Because I was a Japanese console player, um, but I did I did pick it up on the second hand market a, l- a little bit later, and via and courtesy via my DCX um, region free converter disc, uh, I did manage to play it. And uh, yeah, it's remember you know simple m- moving the little space mice into the rocket, avoiding the very the quite scary looking cats with the giant right. yeah the giant gaping fanged ah. jaws the swirling <laughs> mad eyes um but yeah you know single player there's a bunch of content here and then multiplayer you know local and online was a lot of fun as well so um yeah uh what are your memories of this one mate so i mean my uncle picked up uh a pal dreamcast at launch so i do remember that i actually got to experience it you know eventually got to play it online he went out and did his usual. He bought like the keyboard and had it all sitting there, you know, and hooked up and, you know, choo choo rocket. It was actually having had the Japanese system for so long, it was actually intriguing to to see another side to the Dreamcast, you know, because yeah. we knew it was online, but obviously being importers, we we couldn't we couldn't take it online. So it was actually something of a bit of a buzz to to go online yeah. and, and realize, oh, hold on, you're, you're playing other. Other against other people here. It was kind of quite surreal on a console. I mean, I'd never done any form of, you know, online gaming at that point. You know, I had a, a a very basic PC for college at the time. You know, so it wasn't as if I was even playing any kind of online PC games. So, I it was it was quite quite a, a kind of thrill to actually get to take a Dreamcast online in its heyday when it was new and exciting. Yeah, no, I agree. I had I had I had a friend that had it, and he, he was always online with his Dreamcast. I think his brother more than more than him himself was playing on online with the Dreamcast. And yeah, it was something that I'd only experienced like you secondhand. You know, you experienced it through your uncle, I experienced it for a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed watching him play the game, so I had to kind of hunt it down. I think I got it from GameStation in the end. Um, it wasn't too expensive because people were getting it for free, and then you know, punting it back to the to the to the resellers. Um, <laughs> So I never actually got to play this online. Um, I didn't actually get to play any Dreamcast online until much later um, when I got uh, Fantasy Star online. But um, I did play it offline 
I did play it with, uh, with a couple of friends and siblings and family members, etc. And it was a, uh, it, it was, it was good fun. Um, you know, even even just hearing the the title just makes me think of the uh, the intro music. So it's just a just a just a moment of um, sheer inventiveness from Sonic Team. You know, the stuff that they used to put out in the Dreamcast era. You think this is just not long after Sonic Adventure, in between Sonic Adventure and Fantasy Star Online, while they're also planning Sonic Adventure Two. You know, they were. Yeah, kind of exceptional back then, really. Yeah, I mean, it's a very clever game, devilish as well as we've said. You know, the 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 fact that you know the stages are quite small, quite tight. You've got limited number of moves. You've got to kind of obviously position your reality yeah. to where you the path you want them to go to. And at the start, it's quite simple, and you think this is dead easy. And then yeah. you move on. <laughs> you've got you know cats that move across the screen, and they're they're kind of almost hunting your your mice down and stuff like that. So. Aye, it's it's just a, a brilliant game. Yeah, it's, it's it's got it's very much the lemmings of its era, isn't it? Because yes, you had, aye, yeah, you, you you know, similarly, you're trying to move little little rodents to to a goal, <laughs> and um, trying to avoid the trying to avoid the hazards. Um, so very similar to that, but you know, with an extra twist. So it beat out some you know sizable competition. You know. Puzzle Bob always an established franchise, which I actually absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a couple of versions. I think two is my favorite, which I've got two and two X on the Saturn. Um, Sega Swirl as well. Uh, yep. It was a game that I, it, I've got it on a, on a Dreamcast demo disc, and I spent so many sessions on that, so many hours playing that. And again, another another four player game, I believe. Mm-hmm. I, I do recall playing it a lot, a lot with other people, and then, yeah, that was yeah, tons of fun. Um, and of course, uh, Super Puzzle Fighter, you know, another fantastic puzzle game, which is basically just Baku Baku, but with gems instead of animals and food. <laughs> um, and I think Baku Baku is the better game, but, uh, you know, with little miniaturized Street Fighters and Dark Stalkers and Capcom fighting characters on there, the appeal is easy to see. Uh, and it's a classic in its own right. So, again, some stuff, stiff temp competition, not to mention there's like three versions of Tetris on the Dreamcast for some reason. <laughs> couldn't get couldn't get a Port of Scud race, but for some reason we've got three versions of Tetris. <laughs> what can you say, mate? You know, what can you say? <laughs> yeah. And, and a nice win for, uh, for the little choo-choos, for the mice trying to escape the giant bizarre cats uh, and, and get into space. But uh, there we go. So I think moving on, mate, we're going to be talking about more more mascots, more little critters as we move on to our next category, which is best platformer. Certainly the nominees for best platformer are Sonic Adventure 2. Sonic Adventure 2, uh, one of the last Dreamcast games, courtesy of Sonic Team, came out in the year 2001, introduced Shadow, and came out in time for the series 10th anniversary. 10th anniversary, it seems like. Is it the 30th that's just gone? 32nd? How old we are, mate. (laughs) Our next nominee is Rayman 2. Rayman 2, uh, a multi-platform game from Ubisoft, launched in uh, 1999. Actually, came to pretty much every platform under the sun, I believe. Even games with the Game Boy, Game Boy Color, PS One, N sixty four, PS Two, but the Saturn. Oh, sorry, the Saturn Freudian slip there. The Dreamcast version is generally considered the very best port. Uh, next nominee is Sonic Adventure One. 
Sonic Adventure 1, uh, an absolute legendary title, when launched in 1998, very close to the launch of the console itself. Took Sonic into the third dimension, officially for the first time, and introduced six playable characters. And finally, we have Donald Duck Quack Attack. And it's Ubisoft and Sonic Team absolutely dominating this category. This was courtesy of Ubisoft in the year 2000, introducing Donald Duck to a 3D platforming adventure, very much the same vein as Rayman 2. And very much like Rayman 2, this also came to pretty much every platform under the sun. And once again, the Dreamcast port is considered the very best out of the ball. Mm -hmm. And who is our winner? The winner of Best Platformer on the Sega Dreamcast is Sonic Adventure 1. Congratulations to Sonic Adventure 1. Yes. Um, we both came back with Sonic Adventure 1 on this one, didn't we? And yep. I think we've said it many times. There's lots of revisionism. A lot of people that look back and don't look at it, this game very fondly. For me, this was absolutely mind-blowing when I first played it in early 1999 on my on my imported Saturn. Just the, the set pieces, the visuals on it were absolutely stunning. Um, I think it started to get... It's weird how sometimes these things go in, in circles mm. <laughs> because I think a lot of people criticise it on the back of the DX ports, as I said before, the DX, the DX yep. port on GameCube is, is poor and every single release after that has just introduced new issues, new bugs, and they just make it look sloppier and sloppier. And people think this game was overrated. It was never any good. And no, if you go back to play the original Dreamcast game, it's fantastic. Mm. But if the advent of Sonic Frontiers, and I'm getting my Sonic nerdy hat on here, and apologies to all you non, non-Sonic fans out there, but with Sonic Frontiers, as, good, as well received as that was, there are parts of the Sonic community that bemoaned the fact that it didn't have any physics. Uh, and by physics, I mean, if you play the original Mega Drive Sonic the Hedgehog games, you know, if you let go of the controller, Sonic, Sonic continues to move, or if you move, push, put him in the position down a hole, if he always rolls, um, those sort of realistic physics aren't present in the more modern games, but they are present in Sonic Adventure 1. Sonic Adventure 1 is the 3D Sonic game that feels the most like the original 16-bit games because of the use of momentum in there. And because of that, it's just still tremendous fun. I played for it all again. Is it last year? It, it was, it was, I think it was just before I moved last year. And I absolutely loved it. I finished it with a big smile on my face. Um, I think it's sensational still. It has its flaws, you know, it's you know, the big fishing sections, for example, uh, are quite torturous at times. Um, <laughs> and it does have its share of bugs and issues. But if you look at what Sonic Team set out to do, you know, to do six different gameplay styles within a shared world, um, that allow players to approach things in different ways, a, a six a, a story that you saw from six different angles, you know, you don't see this sort of stuff apart from in Squaresoft Saga Frontier series, you know, and this is, this is Sonic Team doing it in a Sonic game. You know, um, the, the physics-based momentum and all of that, you know, an epic scale, an open <laughs> an open zone almost in the open world sections, you know, it really was just just something else. And, uh, yeah, for me, it's an absolutely sensational game. Yeah, I mean, I think there'll be people screaming at the screen, perhaps saying we should have went with Sonic Adventure 2. You know, I think, again, given the fact that, you know, it's a 60 FPS game, they kind of ramped up the visual style on it you know it's it's certainly 
a, a gorgeous looking game, plays yeah. great, but again, it's it's the impact I think of of Sonic Adventure. You know that, as you say, it's it done what Sonic Team set out to do. The criticism of not having Sonic present on the thirty two bit systems. You know Saturn got Sonic Jam. The three D world showed us what could have been done, but ultimately, you know, Sonic Extreme cancelled, never came to be. So it's almost like they kind of went out with a vengeance yeah. to, to to get Sonic in 3D. And you're right, it, it does get wrongly criticised again because people kind of play the DX ports um, and obviously the, the Xbox Live Arcade versions are based on that and PC ports are based on that so that you're not getting that kind of authentic experience. But the Dreamcast game, there's just there's so many memories attached to it as well. As I said before, like the Mystic Runes theme, yeah. That that takes me back to standing beside Sam and CE Games looking up at that wee mm-hmm. CRT in the corner. It's just there's just certain parts of it that just take you back to certain moments of when you first seen it. Um so I it's just bloody gorgeous game. And as you say, to see a story from six different angles in a Sonic game is as much of a, a pain as you know Big the Cat is and even Amy's not got a great uh, her levels annoy me as well, but <laughs> you know. You know the Sonic Tails and Knuckles stuff is is brilliant. You know, and yeah. the the way you know Knuckles obviously you've got that kind of radar for where the the, the kind of uh, crystals are that you used to collect. Yeah. You know, and it's like, a, it's like a reversing camera in a car. Closer to it. Um, in fact, you can glide and you can hold onto rock formations and climb up. You know, just so many different. You know, they played very well on the different kind of the anatomy of the characters they, they yeah. kind of took that they, they, they built that into the actual gameplay so uh, Sonic Adventure for me still comes the second game yeah you you also had like the um like the challenges to get all the emblems like it was 150 emblems and that I, I never managed to collect them all but I spent I spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours trying <laughs> it, I wouldn't be until you know the advent of YouTube and I'll see people doing these speed runs and doing all these weird tricks again with the momentum um and shaving seconds tens of seconds off the time because they're able to skip large parts of the level and that's not through glitch that's that's, that's just how the game was designed otherwise mm-hmm. they wouldn't have these tight time limits and it's just I think some people feel like the design is sloppy but it's this it's, it's you know, it's deliberate the way that you, if you watch people play it and speed run it, you know, it's done for that purpose. And it's kind of like, I think we mentioned it the other day when we were talking about, I think when we mentioned Tears of the Kingdom, Breath of the Wild, I think we mentioned Sonic Adventure then about how when you get to Mystic Ruins, it kind of just drops you there. And that's right. You, 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 it's kind of like, you know, figure it out, you know, where, where do you have to take this item to open up the next part of the, the, the level? And it really is that obviously not to the scale that you see because obviously it's a game that's 17 18 years younger than breath of the world and stuff but mm-hmm. it's still a game with you know where you when you first went into these environments you just thought wow and you just played around in them you know it's it's quite easy to look at the game through the cynical lens of the modern day and just say uh it it, it it's you know it's, it hasn't aged very well but you take your mind's eye back to you know 1998 this game came out you know before <laughs> this is before Metal Gear Solid. This is you know before the PAL version of Tekken Three. You know this is this is how early it was, and you had you had a world like that, uh, absolutely sensational. 
I think as well, one of the clever things is that if you look at the two parts of the game, the exploration parts and like the kind of the, the city, you know, the, the Mystic Ruins, as I said, you know, they've got a more stripped back visual style. Yeah. It's not until you got into the levels themselves that Sonic Adventure actually shows you what the hell it's capable of. Yeah. Like the Windy Valley, the, the, the kind of the winding pass, the grass either side, you know, the the kind of floating rocks that have got the fans on them. Yeah. Even the rock formations, the the wire bridges, the loop, the loops, all those kind of things are just the, the actual visuals of the levels are a step above, as we'll say, like you go to the train station, it's all very basic looking. Even whenever like Sonic's sitting at the side of the pool at the at the hotel kind of thing and yeah. tails crashes, that in itself still looks very not basic, but you know, it's it's a it's a stripped back. It's not until you go into the levels where everything just seems to open up. Yeah, and you get the set pieces and it, it just you know, if you go through speed highway and you're running along the side of the buildings and so it's being chased by those those police car things. Um, and then when you run down the front of the building and all the glass is shattering everywhere and the lights coming from all these different areas and it's moving so fast and then you transition to the next stage is just fantastic, absolutely fantastic. But um, I feel like we've been going on about Sonic Adventure for long enough now. <laughs> it's probably time we moved on to our next category. Um, so from the high-speed antics of Sonic the Hedgehog, we're going to slow things down. And we've been talking about different perspectives and storylines. And it's only right that we move now on to the very best RPG for the Sega Dreamcast. And James, if you want to tell us who our nominees are. The nominees for best RPG are Shenmue. So released in 1999 in Japan, 2000 in the West. This was the brainchild of Yu Suzuki, the game that really brought us into the modern age as far as open world adventures are concerned skies of arcadia so this came out in the year 2000 courtesy of overworks a much more traditional turn-based uh japanese rpg but a game that is epic in scope and instantly likable shenmue 2 shenmue 2 out in 2000 in Japan and 2001 in PAL territories never made its way to the US on the Dreamcast but nonetheless another absolute classic courtesy of AM2 now this one expands on the first game in ways that make it more grandiose and more epic Fantasy Star Online an RPG not in the traditional sense but more in the MMO sense this came out in the year 2000 courtesy of Sonic Team came bundled with a Sonic Adventure 2 demo disc in fact this one was one that uh, many gamers spent hundreds of hours on including myself uh, allows you to team up with at least four other players uh, to take on the creatures of Regal and James who is our winner of best RPG the winner of best RPG is Shenmue. Congratulations to Shenmue. So yeah, the original Shenmue, I think we both landed on this, didn't we? Um, it's a bit hard because as I say, we've been trying to be objective through this one mm-hmm. and um, it's in there with some pretty heavy competition. I think there's a lot of people that say Skies of Arcadia is their favourite, mm-hmm. others that say Fantasy Star Online. With Shenmue, you'll get people that prefer one or two I actually prefer to. Exactly. I think when we were debating this one, it came down to what game had the most impact, mm-hmm. what game really changed, broke, broke the mold, and, and Shenmue 2 is the one, uh, sorry, Shenmue 1 is the one that did that. 
Yeah, and I think it says a lot as well that as, as we said, it's you know that the fact that Shenmue two is your you know preference out of the two games. I prefer the first game, as we've mentioned on previous shows. You know, you preferred how it opens up that grander scope to it, whereas I preferred that kind of more intimate setting. It was yeah. smaller, um, but I think yeah, whenever we were looking at what deserved the award and why, you know, I think given what. Shenmue brought to the table what it you know what it did for the industry the the footprints that it left for others to follow open worlds multiple NPCs all with their own routines all with their own characteristics you've seen a door for a building you could walk into it not only did you walk into a building but there was another NPC there all with their own lives their own routines the, the, the rooms were all so unique whether it was a you know, a, like a news agent, whether it was a florist, whether it was a mahjong parlor, you name it. You know, everything all had its own unique look. You know, warehouse number eight. You know, the the, the street vendors with the the, the lucky was it lucky? What did they call it again? The lucky strike. You can yeah. drop the the wee ball in, and you can win like a prize. And you know, just so much going on. But as well as that, I think Shenmue for me was the first truly cinematic video game experience because, as I said before, you know, seeing the Japanese version whenever it arrived to CA Games and and not really understand a word of what's going on, but to watch, you know, Ryu come home, be confronted with Landy fighting his father, watching Landy, his eyes, you know, sweep the scene, wondering, you know, you know where's the mirror, you know, it's... That he would walk across the floor, and the fact that the camera would pan up, it starts on his feet, and how detailed his shoes were, his clothing, his cloak, it creased when he walked, fingernails, eyebrows, facial expressions, yeah. everything. It was just beyond anything that you'd ever seen in a game before. As much as, like, you know, Metal Gear Solid told a great story, a lot of emotional stuff in there with Meryl and Sniper Wolf, and you did get really attached to that whole storyline with that because she's getting gunned down at there and you need to try and get to her to save her, that relationship yeah. with, with Meryl. But it was still all locked behind the very basic blocky PlayStation 1 visuals. All of a sudden, you're not just only getting you know voice acting, but you're getting visuals on a cinematic scale within an open world that lets you explore and talk to and go anywhere so yeah. that that's why for me i think it's just i'm, I'm kind of writing an acceptance speech for shen <laughs> <laughs> but everything you say i completely agree with i, I mean i do love the intimate say and even though i do think that shenry 2 takes that ball and runs with it um and improves on it in a, in a number of ways but it only marginally is my favorite of the two and you think back to the impact of of shenry 1 i mean qtes it popularized qtes now that is, <laughs> the influence of that 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 legacy may be for better or for worse you know depending on your point of view but you can't debate how massively influential the original Shenmue was and you know just going into the arcade and whiling your time away oh. in there and, and everything in there just had such such personality you know when you were you know looking for the sailors and then you ended up going you go Charlie he likes his hark <laughs> you're looking for you, you go to his tattoo part or you've got the uh you know the um the 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 guy on his bicycle delivering the chinese food and he's going so thirsty but i don't have any money i'll buy you one <laughs> you know and it's cheesy but it's 
it's it's it's it's iconic in its own way. Yeah, I mean the, the arcade as well that you mentioned. I mean, like you know, whatever you're, you know, final tray. You know, <laughs> right, sure, I didn't realise that that was actually an arcade machine as well until actually, I think I sent, I, you, I sent you the. Oh, you did, I. It was. I, I was like, wow! It was actually a real thing. <laughs> the, the, the music, whenever you play darts as well. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just that kind of very jazzy. You know, of of the era. The capsule toys, the collectibles, just everything. You just go on and on the forklift truck racing, get a yeah. job. You know, lifting the crates. You know, just yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, sensational. So much, so yeah. much going on. Absolutely, and you know, again, like the like we said for the other categories, it was against some really big competition. Absolutely love Scars of Arcadia. Absolutely magical game. One of the, for me, one of the best RPGs ever. Um, absolutely superb. And I, I didn't get to play that all the way through until a few years back. And when I did, I was absolutely blown away. And this is, you know, 20 years on and the impact should have been lessened, but no, it really is that good. And Fantasy Star Online, as I said, that's a, that's a game that I actually, you know, got myself online for, got my, got hold of a, a Power Dreamcast at the time and uh, went online and, yeah, spent hundreds of hours, racked up a pretty big phone bill at one point. Uh, <laughs> But that game was just absolutely legendary. So, for Shemu to come out top here against these against these titans is uh, is no mean feat. Absolutely, worthy winner. A worthy winner. But uh, moving on now, we're going to speed things up again, and it's all it's a <laughs> always feel like uh, doing the uh, the time crisis. For, you know, when you take your foot off the pedal. Action, reload. <laughs> this is best action game. Uh, yes, so if you would like to tell our, our viewers and listeners who the nominees are. The nominees for Best Action Game are Resident Evil Code Veronica. Resident Evil Code Veronica from Capcom in 1999. This was originally meant to be the true Resident Evil 3. Introduced 3D backgrounds uh, and a level of fidelity that hadn't been seen before in the horror franchise classic. Sonic Adventure. Sonic Adventure, uh, another re-entry for this one from Sonic Team in 1998, uh, an absolutely monumental platform uh, action game, as we just discussed. Jet Set Radio. Jet Set Radio, uh, a game quite unlike any other. Uh, smile bits, year 2000, graffiti, skateboarding, platform. It's it's all sorts of genres into one action-packed adventure, uh, iconic as it is memorable. And Dynamite Decker 2. The sequel to Die Hard Arcade. This introduces Bruno Delinge, uh, a.k.a. Bruce Willis, a.k.a. John McClane from the Die Hard Arcade game. No license for this one. Just um, ramps up the absolute insane combat. Any game that you can pick up a giant fish and beat up uh, a guy in a hockey suit is a winner in my book. So, <laughs> James, who is our winner in this category? The winner of Best Action Game is Jet Set Radio. Congratulations to Jet Set Radio. Uh, and I think it had to be, didn't it, mate? I mean, we talked a lot about Sonic Adventure being the best platform game, um, and that's uh, one obviously very dear to my heart. But 
I think Jess at Radio, we both agreed that that's the pick of the bunch there. Yeah, I mean, those uh, cell shaded visuals don't ever get old. It's a game again. If you just leave it on a track mode, it can quite kind of blow you away. It's yeah. just how detailed some of those those actual, you know, stages are. I mean, the the one you've got the kind of like the power factory, it's like in a little city and there's like orangey kind of water and there's loads yeah. of rails, you're through buildings and all that kind of stuff. Just absolutely insane level of detail. The soundtrack, the differentiation of the characters, you know, it's just everything yeah. about it. Again, devilishly simple in its concept, you know, um, dumbed down a lot, I think, in Jet Set Radio Future. Um, I yeah. will always prefer the original game. I know Jet Set Radio Future gets a big shout out because of, you know, concept of love and it's on the OG Xbox and that kind of thing. And as much as I'd love to see it become backwards compatible, but I think the first game, you know, there's there's almost an element of panic to it. I think it's kind of quite similar to the MSR Project Gotham comparison. Yeah. In that if you've got, you know, the captain chasing you down with a SWAT team and you've got one more bus to tag and you're getting hit with press down, circle three quarters, press up, circle, you know, yeah. and, and then you realise you've not got enough cans to finish it off. So you're trying to skate away, but one of those wee coppers jumps on you, whoop, 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 <laughs> you know, and you're trying to shake them off, you know, and it's just so such a good game. It just merges so many, you know, she said different genres, and it's a platform game, but it's got elements of action in it. So it's got that kind of puzzle-ish aspect with the kind of, yeah. the, you know, the as I said, the, the movements on the analog stick to pull off the tags. Absolutely brilliant game. Yeah, um, just everything about it is impeccable. Just we talk about the the soundtrack, but the sound design is fantastic as well. Um, it's almost like quick time events in a way. It's almost like quick time slash a rhythm game when you're putting the spray paint on. But the it's not just you know going through that that whole uh, action of you know following the directions, but you get the sound when you do it as well. We're boom, boom. Which <laughs> <laughs> is just uh, absolutely superb. Uh, it just oozes so much personality. Mm-hmm. It's um, and it is challenging. Um, and you're, you're right about Jet Set Radio Future. You know, I remember when I first played Jet Set Radio Future, and uh, I went past the first like graffiti sign, and I pressed the button, and he's expecting uh, something to pop up mm-hmm. telling me to move the move the analog stick, and it's like, no, it's done. So, well, that's kind of not you know. The first game made it actually feel like you were spraying spray paint. You know, yep. you were actually moving yep. your spray can around. This was just a click of button and it's done, which you lost something in there. And it's it's kind of, yeah, similar to MSR to PGI. It's dumbed down yep. from the original. Um, yep. uh, I think Jet Set Radio feature a sensational game in its own right. But I think for that one, I think it's more the fact that it isn't available, that people demand it so much. Yep. Whereas Jet Set Radio itself is... I think it is still available. I think it got delisted from the Xbox storefront, but not fully delisted. Was it one of those ones? You can still get it through like a web store or something. I think Daytona was like that. I'm not sure if Jet Set Radio was, but it has been delisted now from what I, I think it was on the list. That has um, it? Yeah, it was, it was on the list of games delisted before the one Daytona was on, I'm sure. Yeah. So, no, sure. I- it is a shame. I've, I've still got it on my, my Xbox account. I mean, it was one of those ones that I picked up back in, it was in the 360, it was Xbox Live Arcade, it was on by yeah. So, 
a long time ago now, mate. 2011, that port came out. <laughs> I bought it on uh, I bought it on PC, but then when it was when the when the delisting was announced, I bought it on Xbox as well because it's like three pound forty nine or something ridiculous. Uh, I actually bought this one on import. I think it was fifty quid. I paid for it. And a uh, little little tangent, little story here. Um, I fell in love with it instantly. Now we've talked about the visuals. The visuals don't age. The sound design doesn't age. And we've talked about how it can be tricky and it is devilishly difficult. And uh, I believe I was fighting Poison Jam, that sort of boss fight in the sewers. Um, and I died so many times and I got the ump and uh, slammed my hand down on the desk. The Dreamcast popped up. This came out of it and the disc wouldn't play again. Um, so somehow somehow i gave it my mum took it back to computer to cex at the time and got a got a replacement for me and i was able to carry on playing but uh it was close i've naturally never finished it i've got right to the end but i've never actually managed to complete it. it's very challenging it's, it's one that i'd love to sit down and finish today uh so that's, i think that's why i wanted to get the xbox port i think there's a few quality of life improvements that might make it a little bit easier like the control of the camera etc but the Dreamcast original, especially the Japanese case with the artwork, is absolutely oh. sublime. Aye, the Japanese case is stunning. You know, it's, it's predominantly green, but it's covered in oranges and yellows, and you can see kind of you know the outline of beat there with the can. You yeah, know, just uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. The fact that obviously it's been a dual case, it carries over obviously because the manual is the the front cover, but. Everything about it, just the presentation, the disc as well, the design yeah. of the, the disc is just so clever. It's a, the kind of the vinyl effect. Yeah. <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a vinyl disc. Um, just gorgeous. Absolutely it, it, gorgeous. It is. It got a re-release, didn't it, in, in Japan, which um, was obviously, I got the original Japanese version before it came out in PAL Territories, and that had, you know, the great soundtrack. And then the Western version has additional songs from Richard right. Jakes, so then they re-released that version in Japan as a it's Dela Jet Set Radio, isn't it? And um, that's got gum on the cover, but very and again oh, a very nice. similar, very similar art style to the first one. I'd love to have them both, but that second one is extremely expensive. Oh, there's a shock! <laughs> there's a shock! Yeah, it's like my trip to CEX today. The Dreamcast, it was a box Dreamcasting in, which is why it's so expensive. But 160 pound it was for a. A, a dream cost 50 pound for a copy of super mario brothers on the nest so you think about it dreamcast's rrp was 199 quid yeah <laughs> it's You're not far off is it? getting close to rrp again yeah to <laughs> x's were 150 pound rrp they've exceeded their rrp crazy it's crazy mate okay well that brings us to the end of the genres um surprisingly enough so now we're into our final two categories um so the first one we've got is the best score which dreamcast games have the best music uh so if you'd like to tell our viewers listeners who our nominees are the nominees for best score are shenmue shenmue again from am2 in 1999 with an absolutely fantastic orchestral score crazy taxi crazy taxi Again, 2000 from Hitmaker. This one has an absolutely iconic soundtrack, as we discussed earlier on. Sonic Adventure 2. Sonic Adventure 2, 
2001 from Sonic Team. This one has a fantastic score, lots of uh, character-specific themes, a rocking soundtrack from uh, Jun Sanui, and uh, and all sorts of uh, different musical genres present in this one. Very much like uh, all Sonic games, really. Can't think of a Sonic game with a bad soundtrack. As bad as Sonic games can get, the soundtracks are always bangers. Final nominee in this category is Rez. And Rez from United Game Artists in 2001. It came with the very last Western game in 2002. This one has a uh, very unique uh, approach to sound with some absolutely fantastic uh, techno pieces in there, which uh, evolve as you play. And is that, you know, it bears a special mention because as you shoot your enemies, the soundtrack beats with you. So, James, who won? The best score category. This was a tough one. You know, all more than worthy winners, all iconic in their own right. But the winner of best score is Shenmue. So congratulations to Shenmue. And I think it had to be, didn't it? It's, it's very difficult because the approach to the sound from all four of these is so different. And then we, the, the fact that Jet Set Radio didn't get a, a nomination in this category mm. says something about the strength of, you know, the strength and depth in here. Even games like Skies of Arcadia um, have fantastic soundtracks. There's so many on here, but for us, this is the creme de la creme. But I think Shenmue is the is the worthy winner. Yeah, I mean, the the orchestral version of the main theme, I still think, is, is one of the finest pieces of, of music in general. I think yeah. it can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anything in cinema. I say that the way that it starts off slow, kind of gentle, and builds up to that that crescendo at the end. Um, yeah. It's actually probably one of the, the few video game scores that if I listen to it, you can actually get goosebumps listening to it. I've always called the orchestral version of the Shenmue main theme, I've always called that the kind of the the soul of the Dreamcast, mm -hmm. it's like it's like the song of it because it's filled with all the emotions the console had. It's got it's got hope, it's got tragedy, it's got despair, it's got everything in there. It's just an absolutely gorgeous score. I mean, even not just you know the the main theme itself, but all the set pieces as well. Everything sets the scene well. Again, we mentioned about when you go into different you know shops or buildings. In the game, there's always an NPC in a, a very specific, unique, bespoke environment to explore, but they've all got their own little soundtrack as well. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you kind of, again, you just, whenever you walk through a door into certain rooms or buildings or warehouses, you're greeted by a sound that's unique to that. It's not generic. So, yeah. uh, it's just, there's, there's, again, it's a soundtrack with a hell of a lot of depth to it. A lot of depth, and uh, I think a lot of the motifs are instantly recognisable. And I think, for me, this really straddles the kind of the place where we were in during that time. We were in the you know post CD era mm. when games had moved on to having you know obviously when we started gaming it was bleeps and bloops and chip tunes <laughs> and stuff, um, you know, and you had iconic stuff such as the you know the Super Mario Bros. soundtracks, the Sonic Hedgehog soundtracks, and Streets of Rage. And then you moved on to your CDs, and some would have some of them would have read audio, but for the most part, games were mostly just melodies, motifs. Um, whereas Shenmue was one of the first games that felt like you truly had a score. When I mean, you compare it, I always call Shenmue the first AAA game, 
and I think you could pair it to something like Final Fantasy VII. Well, Final Fantasy VII's soundtrack is... I absolutely love that soundtrack. It's big, a big part of the appeal of the game for me, but it's not fully instrumental. It sounds like it's been made with like a, a, a MIDI synthesizer or something. Oh, yeah. Shenmue has that grandiose, you know, it could be a, a, a score in a cinema, but by the same token, all of the tracks are very recognisable straight away um if, you, if when i sit there and i listen to the soundtrack i remember where i was what, what what theme plays where you know um i see people you know celebrate other soundtracks which is their right to do um modern soundtracks a lot of people there's a lot of talk on twitter uh, recently about soundtracks actually people highlighting their favorites um but games like god of war the last of us gears of war 5 um i couldn't recount any of the themes from there because I feel it's quite additive really complements the atmosphere and the gameplay but isn't memorable whereas Shenmue actually complements the world that you're in and really builds on that atmosphere as well as being something where you'll remember that tune and I think it tells speaks volumes mate the fact that we've had people on here doing my favorite Sega and I think Shenmue themes have popped up Every twice time. three times yep um and not for the same song either you know different different songs oh I mean, casey had a fantastic choice on here i think uh J- jason had another one it's the game itself you know the, the music is just a huge part of its appeal and just what made it so special yeah i mean you're talking about how the music sets the scene i mean even straight from the off when rio runs up that hill and he, he gets to the the door of the dojo yeah he sees the sign smash and you get that yeah, <laughs> it's like, and you see Rio kind of looking as if, like, what the hell has happened here? And then you get the the slow step. <laughs> it's all very doom and yeah. deep and moody, and it just sets that that tone. And then it it fades to silence as he approaches the door, and then you get the and, and Fukara Sun <laughs> flies through. Yeah, you know. So again, I it just everything sets the scene beautifully the mood is always set by the score which you would expect from cinema so as we touched on earlier in the best rpg section the fact that it was you know a cinematic experience yeah no and that's the thing it it really did make it feel like a blockbuster game that's why i feel like it is the first triple a game because yes you those sections really to build attention. You know, as soon as you mentioned when he's running up the hill, and that was, straight away that was in my head. Um, it felt like you were watching a like like a film in a way, a Hong Kong like uh, action movie. But you know, at the same time, it was far beyond anything we'd seen on a console at that point. Um, but it still it still contains motifs and melodies which are instantly recognisable, um, and it just goes everywhere. You know, you've got you've got the you know, the more atmospheric songs like that. You've got the more heartfelt songs that you feel if you have with Nozomi. You've got the the Tomato Store song when you go in there and that's sort of And then you've got like the 70 man fight. It's just it's just got absolutely everything. Um and yeah, it's it's an it's a near perfect soundtrack as far as I'm concerned. I I mean even the the bit whenever Ryu's crawling towards his fallen father. Yeah. You know, that is a it's again grandiose, and then it, it fades and then it's keep friends, those you love <laughs> close to you, 
What are you saying? <laughs> Father! No! Oh, I just just seen from a sound design, and then you've got the, the thunder overhead. I just... Uh, but that, that whole bit whenever he's, you know, Ryu weakened after the beating from Landy, and it's... With each <laughs> thrust of the elbow, he crawl on the floor yeah. and get a big crash of music. Just incredible. Sega music's the best mate, but as we said... That's why there's a radio Sega. There's no, there's no, there's no radio Sony, no radio Xbox. I don't think there's a radio Nintendo. And even if there is, Nintendo will probably come and shut them down. <laughs> I actually, I need to shut down. I got a cease and desist <laughs> after playing 30 seconds of one track. Probably make that sort Yes, and that, that's why there is a radio Sega, because, you know, because there's, there's so much love for this classic Sega music. But yes, right, mate. it's now time for the, for the main event, the biggie. As your note said to me on WhatsApp, <laughs> uh, and that is the best game. So, would you like to read our nominees for best so, game? So, for this one, we have decided not to go with nominees. We have decided that because it is a more of a kind of personal thing that looking through the Dreamcast library that it would be only fair that rather than have one winner that Dan and I choose our own personal favourite and best Dreamcast game. Yeah, I think when we were looking through this list, we were sitting there and I think we, when we were talking about the best game, if we wanted to try and be absolutely objective about it, it would probably be Shenmue. Yeah. But uh, then you read it to me, yeah, I think it's going to be Shenmue, but this is the game that I think is the best, but I can't choose it. I was like, well, why can't you choose it? You know? <laughs> and people can disagree. And the thing is, and uh, we touched on this in the Sega Legacy, whenever you're going to put together a best-of list, mm. people are always going to agree because this sort of stuff is so subjective. Yeah. And even though myself, I have a hard time picking a number one game for the Dreamcast because there's so many. Yeah. There's no clear winner for me. Um, because there's so many absolute classics on there. So what we decided to do is, rather than say, listeners, viewers, objectively, James and I, with all our knowledge and all our wisdom and all our authority, say that decree that this is the best Dreamcast game. We absolutely have no right to do that. No. So I think the way that we're going to approach this is we are going to say, give our Dreamcast Oscars, our Dreamcast Awards, to our personal favourite games. So... James, would you like to reveal your favourite Dreamcast game? So my favourite Dreamcast game, or best Dreamcast game, in my opinion, is Crazy Taxi. And I don't think people could be at all surprised by the, the love and affection that you show to that particular game. Yeah, it, it pretty much is my Sega Rally of, of Dreamcast. Um a game, as I said earlier when we spoke about it, that resonates as much today as it did when I got it on import back in the day. For me, as I said at the very top of the show, it embodies the very spirit of the console. It's loud, it's brash, it's colourful, it's fun, it's in your face. It's just a timeless score attack, arcade quality game. I think it's arguably probably Sega up there at their best you know, in terms of what they're doing, just, as we said before, the level of depth that's in it, you know, you can scratch the surface, pick a controller up, hit accelerate, hit brake, stop at a passenger, and enjoy it, but 
if you start to get really addicted to it, if you start to realise that there's special moves in there. And I'm not even talking about the crazy box stuff and the extra city. I'm just talking about the stock arcade mode. There's just so much in there. You learn passenger routes. You you can start to, as you're, you know, maybe crazy drifting into a stop zone, you scan to see where your next... You, you don't wait until the camera pans yeah. back to behind your taxi. You you should always be looking ahead to see who you're picking up next. There's a red there, there's a yellow there, there's an orange there. And you know in your mind, right, he's baseball stadium, he's pizza hut, he's a feeler <laughs> store. You know where the... It's just... And you learn these things, and from there you start to form a strategy. Like I said before, with the fire station, um, the two NPCs at the fire for the, the bus terminal, if they go to fire station, you get that guy with the, the flowers, you're up to the university. Sometimes he'll go to the mall and he'll throw a span in the works, <laughs> but then you have to work it from there. Likewise, grinding the rail on the freeway to go through to the police station. If you limit cut on that, you can pick up stupid speed on the way back through. So if you take a green back from the city through a little bit RB station or baseball stadium, then once you cut through on the lane on the right-hand side that you're meant to drive on, look for a gap and just ramp across and grind on the way back onto incoming traffic. You can rack up 17, 18, 19, 20 bucks for each vehicle you pass <laughs> because you're just getting crazy throughs galore because your wheels are locked into the gutter and you're limit cutting so you can hold the analogue stick to the left. You're not going to flip the taxi around and you just basically get to the end of the freeway and before you know it, you've racked up a stupid fare. And that's, it's just wee things like that that you pick up and that's why I just love it so much. Like Sitting here talking about it, I want to go upstairs and play it. Yeah. It's just, like, it's just <laughs> because it's like Sagan Alley in that regard and that you know when you're on a good run, like... I don't have restart on Crazy Taxi anywhere near as much as I do on Sega Rally. I'll make that clear. But it, it's like that, that you can tell from the first maybe two or three passengers, right, I'm on a good one here. Um, and then it takes care of itself. So for me, that's why, you know, all the quality software that's on Dreamcast, you know, or Shenmue's or Sonic Adventure, or Jet Set Radio's Dead or Alive 2, Soul Calibur, MSR, you name it so much quality software on a machine that was only on the shit. It was for two years. Yeah. But for me, Crazy Taxi just is the Dreamcast and that is why it is my best game. Yeah, I completely see where you're coming from, mate. It's uh, it's up there for me because it's just so iconic, so playable. Um, I talked just now about how the Shemu soundtrack straddles between eras being, you know, the recognisable chiptune era or taking that and applying it and applying a modern view to it. Crazy Taxi is absolutely that for arcade games. Um, taking the, you know, it's an open world effectively that you're driving that crazy taxi around. Um just the the visual fidelity on it was again almost unlike anything else around there at the moment. In fact, you compare that to GTA Three, and it's absolutely night and day. You know, you've got crazy taxi moves at a, such a lick of speed, so it's quite like, unlike anything else. And it is a game born from that ilk. It is it is pure Sega? You know, you look at your outrun your Sega rallies, your Outrun 2 with that, that game's extremely uh, complex and uh, clever scoring system. And you just, you just, you can trace the DNA across them. It is a game that is just so quintessentially Sega. Mm -hmm. 
that it just makes it impossible not to love. So May is an absolutely worthy title to be called the best Dreamcast game. And what was your choice for best game then, Mick? Best my choice for best game. If uh, if people think that your choice is controversial, they'll probably think <laughs> mine is even more so. It's a game that gets lambasted, but you've heard me talk about it already on this episode. Um, and if you haven't guessed what it is yet, that game is Sonic Adventure. So the very first Sonic Adventure, that was the game that, um, you know, I was going to get a Dreamcast anyway. I bought a Saturn without a launch Sonic title. I was a huge Sonic fan. The fact that the Dreamcast was launching with a Sonic title, not obviously in 1998, the, the Sonic Adventure was delayed by a couple of weeks, um, came out at the, the end of December. But as soon as I saw that, to me, that was the best game ever. Now, there was a period in 1999 after I got my Japanese Dreamcast and after I'd played through the, the campaign in Sonic Adventure a couple of times that I, I would tell everyone in, where was I? I would have been in school then. So this is before six form. Yeah, I, I, I was telling them all that this is the best game that anyone has ever played. You know, better than Mario 64. It's a lot more fun and a lot more exciting than Mario 64. And that, now I know that it's got its flaws, as I said, I've acknowledged that it's a little glitchy. I've acknowledged that some of the characters aren't as fun to play as. Big the Cat can be quite hellish to play as. Although I, I, I do like Amy a lot more than, than you do. Um, the uh, way that, yeah, the way that she, if you could get a bit of speed up with her and hit the ground with a Pico Hammer and you get, it doubles up as an attack and a big jump. But it's, as I said, it was it, the sheer scope of what Sonic Team set out to deliver with that um, really expanded on. If it, it did feel like a progression from Sonic the Hedgehog 3 and Knuckles, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, you had Sonic Tails and Knuckles, all had unique abilities and all were able to do different things and approach the levels in a different way. Sonic Team decided to do that with six characters and throw in a lot, more, lot of like kind of open world problem solving in there as well. Mm. Um, it just felt, you know, people talk about Sonic Frontiers and how it feels good to have Sonic run around this open world. Obviously, Sonic Adventure on a smaller scale, but you know, the first time that I got to Mystic Ruins, ran around there, you know, managed to get to the Windy Valley. Well, when I got to the next part of the Windy Ru- Ru- Mystic Ruins, when you went onto the onto the minecart and went to the area with the temple and Dr. Robotnik's lab further down there, and you can run around on the treetops, you can nip in and out in the bush, you can get caught in the, in the river, you can run up the sides. And there's just different things for everyone to find and experience in there, depending on who you're playing as and what you and what you're aiming to achieve. It's just such a good game, just such tremendous fun to play. You know, it's it may feel a little bit slippery, but that's because unlike modern Sonic games, it does apply physics-based momentum in there. Um, you can do some absolutely bonkers stuff on there when you do your, your spin dash and get to a get to a ramp and use your, your your dash attack or your homing attack in the air to to reach areas that you think that you can't get to um you watch some of the as i said earlier if you watch some of the youtube speed running episodes the, the oh, stuff yeah. that people do on there is is insane and you can't really do that and they're not glitches as i said this is this is how the game was designed for people to build up this ridiculous speed and do these enormous jumps um in fact, you look at Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and the way that you can, you know, when you watch speed runs of that and people 
get a huge head of speed, go up the first ramp, and they fly right up into the air, and then you see, <laughs> and then they bump down on the on the buzz bomber, and then they bounce back up out of the screen again, and then they make a shortcut. Like that's exactly what Sonic Adventure is doing. Exactly that. It's not a glitch. It's a design, and I think people people take it the wrong way. They 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 look at the DX director's cut, which is the, definitely the inferior version of the game. But if you go back to the original Dreamcast game. As I said many times, it's just so much fun to play. And again, Sonic to me is, you know, he's always will be the heart of Sega. I'm a massive Sonic fan, unapologetic. Um, Even enjoyed Sonic 06 at the time. Can't stand it now, but at the time I did enjoy it. But unlike Sonic 06, I feel like Sonic Adventure on the Dreamcast, and I need to specify that this is the Dreamcast version. If anyone is watching this and thinks, I'll play this on the Xbox One, Xbox 360, Series X, Peter, do not do not touch that that, that abomination of a remake. Don't touch the GameCube version. You've got to play uh, over the Dreamcast original. If you can't do that, go onto Steam, get that version and uh, download the uh, Sonic Adventure uh, remake pack. I think it's the Dreamcast remake pack, something along those lines um, that restores the game to its original glory. So, mate, from a personal level, that's that game is everything to me. I could I could go on about it for hours and hours on end. Um, I think it gets unfairly critiqued these days. I think it's thoroughly undeserved, especially considering everything that it did in 1998. But uh, yeah, so that's my choice. It may be controversial, um, but I don't care. Exactly, because <laughs> we're not we're not telling you that these are the best games, and that's why we've done this because yeah. we're not we're not in a position to say what the best Dreamcast game is. <laughs> but you know, it's it's more like um, you know the the Sega guys' appreciation award for yeah. best game. You know, um, but I mean that's the thing. As we go through these categories, the, the fun fact will be that as people are listening and watching and we're reading out the nominees, there'll be people like, and that, that was the whole point of doing this is that we know there'll be people who will get be watching along and going, Oh, that you've that has got to win. That's got yeah. to win. And then there'll be some people who'll agree, some people who won't. And it'd be brilliant if in the comments, if people could take part and go through the categories and actually <laughs> yeah. tell us who would, who would your winners be for each category? So, you know, get involved. That's what we'll, we'd love to see that. If, if you get to the end and you've watched all the categories and you see the nominees, tell us what your, your winners would be. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear what everyone, because everyone's, everyone's view is different. And that's why it always makes this sort of discourse around gaming just so, so fun and so interesting because everyone have a different view. And I think that's the thing about modern gaming. Uh, I think there's just so much, so much focus on kind of Metacritic and game awards. And then you'll get people that when a game comes out, they'll create some big image, like this game, and they'll push all these critic scores on there. And then it's like, I'm right because I, I, I love this game. And if, if, you, if you don't like it, it's like, like someone was saying that they enjoyed Redfall the other day, which is well within their right. I haven't played it yet, but I might enjoy it. People, people were enjoying uh, uh, you know, entitled to enjoy the games that they enjoy. And people will have different opinions. We've said that we've tried to be objective in the other categories, but people are right to um, disagree there. We're only offering essentially what is our opinion. Exactly. And yeah, um, that's what makes discourse in this whole hobby fun and interesting because everyone has different memories, different experiences, different likes and dis dislikes. Some people are sensitive to frame rate. Some people aren't. Some people like a specific genre. Some people don't. And that genre can apply to the type of games they like or even down to the music. Probably people shouting us about Shenmue wondering why Jet Set Radio wasn't included. I mean, 
guys if, if we'd love to hear your your nominations your best games i mean that would be i think we'll be looking at those comments and, and enjoying everything that that you uh contribute to this to this episode but mate it's it's been an absolute blast um Cheers for this episode. I think this was this was your one, and you were keen to push that one forward. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun, especially getting a uh, tucked up. Although my bow tie doesn't seem to want to behave. <laughs> I mean, you put me to shame. I didn't get a haircut. You're you're looking all smart and everything. Can I can I just please stress to listeners and viewers that I did not get a haircut and a shave <laughs> specifically for this episode. I am not that fucking vain. <laughs> right, the, I, I swear to God, I got this done last weekend. I just take a bit of time to get the old beard back. Um, so I please, I, I, this was not specifically for that. Of oh, I shaved that, just before now. I, I shaved just now. Have you just tidied, tried to try to try to tidy it up? Aye, tidying <laughs> up's allowed, mate. But going for a full Turkish kind of towel shaving or that before. Oh, you... I, I can't. I can't. I can't get rid of this beard now. Um. It's it's part of me. I I can't I can't go completely clean, clean shaven. I need to be no a, I need to differentiate between my neck and my chin. Absolutely, when <laughs> you get to our <laughs> age, mate, it's, it's necessary. <laughs> mate, thank you. It's been an absolute blast. So, listeners, viewers, please get in touch. Uh, give us a shout on Radio Sega. Hope you guys have been enjoying it in the live chat. We'll uh, we'll hopefully be there uh, and enjoying what your choices would be. Where, by the same token, viewers on YouTube, please. Give us a like, uh, a subscribe, and drop a comment below as what your nominations, what your your winners for each category would be, or any other categories. Are there any categories that we missed? Just get in touch, and you can also find us on Twitter. You can find the account at Sega Guys. But I'm Dan. This is James. We are the Sega Guys, and we will see you on the Sega side. Sega. <laughs>